0: Comes to me. Shalom, thank you for joining us for the sermon of the fourth Sunday in Advent, December 19th, 2021, from Christchurch to Jerusalem. The life of the Mother of Jesus has been ignored in many Christian traditions. Yet Mary's extraordinary trust and obedience should be an inspiration for us today. It is posited that she was Jesus' first disciple, and in contradiction to the pop song, she really does show us wisdom. Perhaps her most important contribution was to give an example for her son Jesus, who, like his mother, was called upon to say yes to the will of God.
1: We turn to Scripture. The public reading and study of the Word of God is as part of our worship. So let's open our ears and our hearts to what God has to say to his people tonight.
2: Our first reading today is from Micah chapter 5, beginning with verse 2. You, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be Abandon until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, and then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth and he will be our peace. This is the word of the Lord.
3: Our second reading is from the book of Psalms, chapter 80, verse 1 to 7. Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who led Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim. Shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awaken your might. Come and save us. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine on us, that we may be saved. How long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowl full. You have made us an object of derision to our neighbors and our enemies mock us. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Our gospel portion. It's from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 1, beginning at verse 39. It's a tradition. Please stand as we honor the message and teaching, good news of our Lord and King. Brothers and sisters, the good news according to St. Luke. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her." And Mary said,
4: My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the state, hum- humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One who has done great things for me, holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him, and from generation to generation he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud of their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This This is is the the word word of of the Lord.
5: Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's pray. So, Father in heaven, we come to you and we pray that the words of Mary's song, the Magnificat, Lord, will be for us not just beautiful poetry or familiar liturgy, but, Lord, we pray that uh, these words indeed will be reality, spiritual reality, for not only us as individuals but for your family. Lord, we pray that... uh, the example in the life that Mary lived will be our example. That as she picked up her cross and followed you, we will take courage on the way that she lived her life. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, um, maybe do something slightly different today, and that we'll have pictures because um, I'd like to talk about the passage. In particular, I'd like to talk about Mary and us and the culture in uh, which we live or the age in which we find ourselves. But I think that there's a, perhaps another way of doing it, and that is to tell you uh, about a church in Galilee that in many ways expresses to be very careful with my words it expresses what may be problematic when we think of the life of Mary and what may be more than helpful that church you can see on the screen I'm sure most of you are familiar with it is the Basilica of the Annunciation. It is a somewhat modern church. I think it was finished in 1969. The church itself is built over the New Testament village of Nazareth, and it is the fourth church on that site. Soon after the death of Jesus, uh, there was some kind of Jewish Christian or Messianic Jewish house church there. There was a Byzantine church, followed by a Latin Crusader church, uh, followed by, I believe, a Franciscan church in the 17th century. So this actually would be the fifth church, not the fourth church. And um, if you only visit the church once or twice, it's not an easy church to like. I think the way to... Well, it was once put to me when i, I once asked someone who likes cigars i said why do you like smoking cigars and he responded by saying it's an acquired taste you have to work really hard you know to like cigars but i suppose once you do you know that and this church is very similar you have to work hard to like it and to appreciate it to see its value because there. are there's a lot in the architecture that is indeed uh very biblical and uh, powerfully symbolic and still at the same time uh, in its architecture it's not very easily it's not very easy to appreciate the bottom the downstairs of the church uh, is a holy place it uh, likely is the site of Mary's house, and if, Mary, if, the, if the if it isn't Mary's house, you can change the slide, Joseph. If it isn't the house of Mary, the village was so small that the, uh, the place where the house where Mary lived would probably be a hundred meters or a hundred yards away. Yes, Nazareth was a hamlet of only four or five, maybe three or four hundred people at any one time. And the church, um, if you've been there before, the church is full, yes, of mosaics and murals and pictures of the mother of Jesus, Mary. And uh, there are probably several hundred. And each nation of the world has contributed, uh, has contributed, uh, one, uh, Contributed something from their cultural perspective. So here you see something from Korea. And uh, you can find uh, European countries, African countries. My favorite is from Cameroon. I don't know if if that can come up or not. And then there's actually one from the United States, which is quite unfortunate. It looks like Haight-Ashbury, The Summer of Love meets aluminum foil. Yeah. There's Cameroon. I don't know if any of you have been to Haight-Ashbury and, with aluminum foil, but the American contribution is a bit, is certainly a bit unfortunate. As said, each nation contributes, again, a mural, a mosaic, sometimes it's Mary and baby Jesus, sometimes it's just Mary. Okay. Oh, that's the American one. I, I'm, I'm thinking about sending in my passport. I, I, you know, it's very challenging. And many Protestants or people who, who come on our shores tours, they say, wait a minute, what is all this about? Why is there so much Mary, Mary, Mary? And those of you who know something about the history of Christian theology or the history of, Christ, of the Christian church know that this wasn't quite the case in the early days. It wasn't exactly uh, such an emphasis on the mother of Jesus uh, in the first three or four centuries. And I know some people are thinking, yes, after two or three hundred years, it all went bad. And uh, all the theology, you know, took a wrong turn. But it's a little more complicated than that. And I hope you'll have a little more sympathy as yes, for why Mary and her role began to become more and more important in the lives or in the theology of some churches. And that is as, be- as the Roman Empire fell apart uh this you might say the standard of living or the quality of life declined in a very significant way. and as you, uh, this, the so-called dark ages or the middle Ages um, come, life is not very happy for most people. There's lots of chaos, yes, uh, law and order is not always uh, a certainty. There is uh, disease. The life expectancy might be 40 or 45 at the most. There uh, is, of course, extreme uh, uh, poverty, serfdom. And at the same time, the church is emphasizing a truth, but they're not emphasizing that truth in balance. And the church begins to emphasize that Jesus is the judge, and that there is a great judgment on the last day, and that each one of us will have to stand before the judge, which is true, yes, which is absolutely biblical. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But what was missing, yes, in their understanding or their portrayal of Jesus Again, perhaps reflected, perhaps it was something being reflected by the age or the culture in which they lived was any love or mercy. And so people wanting, uh, wanting someone to empathize with their struggles has thought, you know, Jesus is so tough and he's going to be so firm and he's going to be so strict. Where can we find mercy? Where can we find empathy? And people, of course, naturally began to turn to, the, to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And devotion to her began to grow and to grow and to grow. And uh, that devotion continues to be very popular, yes, in numerous, uh, numerous churches today. And so <laughs> here's the problem with that. The, and there's a certain irony. It's in the same city of Nazareth that Jesus, yes, the Messiah, gives his first sermon. And when he gives his first sermon, he might, you might say he lays out his mission statement. Does he not? He's going to tell everyone what he's going to do. And far from being strict, and far from being without mercy and compassion and only being a judge, okay, we read, yes, these famous, uh, we, fa- we, we read these famous words. Jesus is quoting from Isaiah 61, but he borrows a little bit of Isaiah 58. And this is his sermon. Yes. Or uh, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Is that not merciful? Is that not compassion for, you know, the human condition? Is not the incarnation Yes, about God's total and complete identification with us, his creation, that the Son of God comes and lives our life. He experiences our joys and our pleasures, our fear, our anxiety, our pain. Yes, our suffering and confronts the fear of death like each one of us must confront the fear of death. So much so, yes, that we can read in the book of Hebrews, yes, that we have this great high priest. And by the way, what was one of the main tasks, the main job descriptions of the high priest? The high priest represented the people of Israel to God in prayer. The high priest was the chief intercessor. And all, we all know these verses, but it's good to remind ourselves. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we, pres- we pros- profess, profess. Sorry, well, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help it, uh, to help us in our time of need and so that's the irony of this church the church of the annunciation again i want to be careful about being so critical because i think it's important for us to understand the human need and how devotion to mary grew and grew and grew. But also, there's something very, very good about that church. And we as a community need to be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And that is, yes, the life of Mary herself, the role of Mary herself. And I would like to read you, yes, the passage, which we've already heard twice, but I'd like to read it to you uh, in a slightly different way. Because the, the so-called Song of Mary is always translated into English in the past tense. Where actually in the Greek, it's not only the past, but it's something that's continuing in the present. Yes. And I think this is, this is not only important for, this, for Mary, but it's also important for us today. And so let's slightly paraphrase, shall we? It says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, or the mighty one is doing great things for me. His mercy is extending to those who fear him from generation to generation. He is performing mighty deeds with his arm. He is scattering those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He is bringing down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He is helping his servant Israel and remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Right? Now, isn't there... And what's the good news in all of this? Not only that God did those things and he's continuing uh, to do those things, but the good news is that this expresses or reveals to us the character of God, yes, in a way that um, I think becomes, you know, unmistakable. That God is reversing, yes, the sinful, corrupt, way in which the world system works and how is he doing it he's not doing it through armies he's not doing it through divisions he's not doing it through the gross national product of some very wealthy country he's not doing it through the those who are socially connected through the rock stars and television personalities you know of the day he's not Using, uh, not using um, the, those who are wealthy, the, the you know the the tech, the high tech companies or the tech tech giants. Who does who does he use? And what does this say? Not what does this say about God Himself? He's so far in this story, we've met two women. Yes, we, and a priest, Zechariah. They're not very well connected. They're, they seem to be poor. They don't have much status. One woman is humiliated because she's old and hasn't had children. Another woman is humili, humiliated because she's pregnant and she's not married. And she's in a desperate state. And so God uses what is humble, what is lowly, what is unexpected, yes, to confound, yes, all all that is wise. And so this tells us not only about God, but of course, it tells us about Mary. And, you know, it also tells us, I think very importantly, about discipleship, because Mary is the first Christian disciple. Yes, you want to talk about the first follower of Jesus? It's actually Mary herself. She's the first one who says yes. And because she says yes, we have the incarnation. Now, what does she say yes to? She says yes to something that's not really clear. Or she says yes to something that's not laid out before her. Yes. It's, she doesn't see all the stages. She doesn't see where things necessarily are leading. She just is, she is, and she receives an angel. She sees an angel. And the angel says, you're going to be pregnant. And she says yes. She responds, yes, in you know, she responds in obedience, and her life—you might say—her commitment uh, continues. She um, again doesn't understand where this is all leading. And later in uh, Luke chapter two, it says that after Jesus got lost in the temple, that she pondered many things in her heart. But her her initial response. Yes, even though it's not one of certainty, even though she hasn't figured out the mystery, her initial response after saying yes is one of worship. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Yes, so her response is yes. Her response is, this is a mystery, but I'm still continuing to trust God. And we see along the way, that at times he appears not to understand what Jesus is doing. But what matters is, is that at the end, she's at the foot of the cross. She remains faithful. And not only is she at the foot of the cross, she's in the upper room. And what connects and ties the Holy Spirit in a a unique way in this story is that the Spirit which first comes upon Mary comes upon her. Yeah. The spirit comes up, comes upon her. Yeah, so Mary again is at the foot of the cross. Yeah, she remains faithful. And by the way, where are all those mighty men of faith? Peter, James, John, the ones who saw the miracles, the ones who were at the transfiguration? They're nowhere to be seen nowhere to be seen. You know, the angel tells Mary, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the future. Don't be afraid of all the implications. And I think Mary takes that to heart. Yeah. Again, that's discipleship. Courage. Yeah. Allowing ourselves to live with a mystery that we don't always understand we may know the destination, the destination of discipleship is holiness or the destination of discipleship is being like Jesus. Or as Pope John Paul II put it once, he said, discipleship is closing the gap. What gap are you closing? The gap between the way you are now and the, and the person the Lord wants you to be. Yes." It's closing that gap, closing that gap. What it means to pursue discipleship, not simply having Bible studies or going to meetings, although those things are very important. Discipleship is about, indeed about transformation. Um, is it not? Mary pays a price for all this. She pays a price because, again, in Luke chapter 2, yes, Simeon says, a sword will pierce your heart. This comes with a lot of joy. In fact, the beginning of Luke starts off very joyful. It's almost like a, a musical, singing in the rain. Every time you turn around, someone's bursting out into song. And I hate musicals, by the way. But this is; uh, these are very beautiful songs. Whether it's the song of Elizabeth or the song of uh, the song of Mary, and it starts off very joyfully. There's a, yes, the shepherds are told, "We bring you great joy." And then there is the rejection of Jesus. There is his death. He becomes responsible for the fall and rise of many in Israel although the book of Luke ends in a beautiful way because the disciples, after seeing Jesus ascend, returned to the temple in great joy, in great joy. And as I said, Mary pays a price because she's misunderstood, and surely there was incredible amount of uh, gossip and scandal associated with her. Even to this day, you talk about Mary or the virgin birth with many people. Yes, people find it incredulous. We can't believe that. You know, that's nonsense. Oh, you've got to be kidding. You know, one of the, offense, the offensive things about the gospel is not merely the incarnation or the crucifixion, yes, or the return of Jesus, but the virgin birth. And of course, it's important because it points, to, it points to, or it uh, validates in a way divine sonship and sinlessness. I was mentioned this morning that I have a lot of Israeli Jewish friends. Many of them are Orthodox. And, um, if we get, if we start talking about this subject, they're all very curious and they're all very skeptical and sometimes even a little, uh, perhaps they're a little humorous about the subject. But generally, I point out to them, how is it possible if you believe that God made the world out of nothing? How is it impossible? Yes, that they're, you know, can't be a can't be a virgin birth yes and so you might say Mary is the patron saint of fake news or the patron saint of scandal or maybe she's the patron saint for those who might be desperate or find themselves yeah in places uh, that might that certainly are very very difficult. I will say one thing and I think perhaps. One of the most important aspects of her discipleship is that she discipled her son. She was a model for her son, Jesus. You see, just as Mary had to make a really hard and tough decision to say yes to God, to say yes to the Incarnation, to say yes to the birth of Jesus, to be misunderstood, to be undoubtedly socially ostracized, not knowing what it all means and what the implications will be. Jesus has to say yes to the cross, even though it doesn't make sense. Now, where did he learn that? Where did he, where did he see courage in action? Where did he see, you know, obedience, faithful obedience? He saw it in his mother. He saw it in his mother. She modeled, yes, she modeled discipleship for him. Maybe she didn't give him Bible lessons. Maybe she did. Yes, but he certainly had her, he certainly had her example. You know, I find it very ironic that the church and Christian institutions we're generally run by men. Yes, we have all the power. And um, the church, whether it's the institutional church or the mystical body of Christ, I think it exists largely to facilitate discipleship and to bring people into a relationship, friendship, commitment. Yes, with Jesus the Messiah. But the ironic thing in all this is that I think the greatest disciple, yes, was a woman, was Mary. And you might say that discipleship is modeled and molded, yes, on her life. Again, saying yes, her faithfulness, her humility. Now, some of us have problems with all this what problems might we have? Yes, because my suggestion is, we really, really, really should hold her up as a model, not be afraid to talk about her, not be afraid to show our appreciation, not worried that somehow we'll be accused of being crypto-Catholics in one way or another. And I'm not suggesting that we pray to Mary And have her ask Jesus to do things for us. Yes. Because what sometimes holds us back is that we're afraid that something might not be biblical. Or we've seen some pretty, you know, strange stuff. uh, Many times associated with Mary. There's a picture over in a church in Colorado somewhere. And it's a picture of Mary crying. You know, there's been some kind of weird you might say spirituality or or uh, practices associated with all this but i don't think it should stop us yes from being showing a certain sense of appreciation even devotion yes to what to the life that she lived and asking the lord to give us that same faith and courage yes As she had. I think it's. Really essential. So I think. Her life. And. As. Really the character of God is expressed in that life. Is it not. Is. Valuable to us. And it's. Extremely valuable to our culture. So. So not just to us as a church, not to us as a Christian community, but it's a reminder to our culture. We live in a culture, we live in an age in which the highest and most important goal for hundreds and hundreds of millions of people, yes, is self-flourishing. I want to have a good life. I want to have a meaningful life. I want to have an authentic life, but I'm going to do this without God. And I'm going to do this by grabbing and getting and asserting myself and pushing my way forward. I'm not going to let people trample on me. I'm not going to let people oppress me. I'm going to have my boundaries. I'm going to take, 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 take. And yes, maybe I'll give. I'm going to create my own identity. I'm going to create my own security. Yes, I'm going to find my own meaning in life. And again, no institution, no tradition, no religion is going to stop me or should stop me in this pursuit. I take, I take, I take. You know, the life of Mary and the life of discipleship is the opposite. It's the opposite. It's not found in self-assertion. It's found in giving. It's found in giving up. It's found in surrender. It's found in sacrifice or self-denial. And sometimes it's even found in suffering. And in that giving and in identifying or or living into the identity and the meaning and the purpose that God gives each one of us, that's where we find flourishing. And actually, at the end of the day, we find self-fulfillment. And that's where we find joy. Now, I'm sure most of you, you know, sitting here, Are saying, thinking to yourselves, "Yeah, I don't believe all that stuff that I, you know, I, I, we hear in the culture. I'm, I've got my nose in the Bible, and I'm a disciple. We have our nose in the Bible several times a week. Yes, but the culture, the water that we drink metaphorically, the air that we breathe, the spirit of our age is telling us something different, 24/7." And the five or six hours a day that we spend online, whether it's on our phone or Netflix or on the computer, also is giving us a different message. Yes? It's giving us a different message. And so we can easily be conflicted. Easily be conflicted. But we need to know. And we need to, to, to remember. Yes. Yeah. This life of Mary, I and really, and I think in the end, she's probably the most powerful woman in history. She's not a Catholic, by the way. She's not a Protestant. I once uh, met a very famous American evangelical woman. She said, I'm going to write, I'm writing a book, a novel on Mary. And she said, I've just started and my Catholic friends want me to make her Catholic and my Protestant friends want me to make her Protestant. And she said, it's a conundrum and I don't know what to do. I should, I I had the answer for her. I should have charged her, you know, a a, a consulting fee, maybe several thousand dollars, but I didn't think of it at the time. I said, oh, it's really very simple, Mrs. X. You just have to make her Jewish. You have to make her Jewish. She never had an army. She never had a gross national product. She comes from extreme humility. She never wrote a book in the Bible. She never was an apostle or a bishop or a cardinal or a rural dean or a politician. But dear friends, let her life speak to us and speak to our culture today. Just remember her words at the wedding of Cana. What did she say to the to to those serving at the wedding, just do everything he tells you. Yes, just do everything he tells you. So ultimately, Mary herself points points to her son. So take courage and have no fear. Father in heaven, we pray, we pray, the woman you chose to bear your son, Jesus the Messiah, Can indeed inspire us. May her life and memory be a blessing to us. And we pray that uh, we will never be ashamed or embarrassed, Lord, to uh, model ourselves, model our lives, and even challenge our, our community or our culture with her example. We pray these things in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. Amen.